The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 9, verses 18 to 24. One time, when Jesus was praying alone and the disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others say, One of the ancient prophets come back to life. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. He gave them a strict command not to tell this to anyone. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law. He must be killed and be raised on the third day. Jesus said to all of them, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. The crowds are getting the answer wrong. Jesus is praying by himself, his disciples are nearby, and Jesus interrupts his prayer to ask his disciples what the crowds are saying. Understand, prayer is so important to Jesus. It is such a priority to him that if Jesus interrupts his own prayer to ask you a question, you better believe the question's important. It's a big one. He asks his disciples, who do the crowds say that I am? Now the answers that the crowds are giving all come up short. The crowds are looking at Jesus and they are seeing someone who clearly is special, someone who is uh, important. So they figure Jesus is some prophet who has come back to life. Maybe John the Baptist who was just recently executed, beheaded by Herod. Or maybe Elijah from way back in the Old Testament, centuries earlier, was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Maybe it's him, maybe it's one of the other great ancient prophets. The crowds look at Jesus and they see he's someone special, he's someone important, but that's as far as they go in their identification of Jesus. Today still, there are crowds of people who look at Jesus and say, there is somebody special. There is somebody important. There is a great teacher. There is a a wise philosopher. There is a promoter of peace and love. Still today, crowds look at Jesus and say, important, special. Other crowds today look at Jesus and they don't see anything important or special. In fact, they look at Jesus and they see a negative. Say, he is divisive. Or he's a lunatic. Other crowds today look at Jesus and they see nothing. They look at Jesus and say, there's somebody who never even existed. He's just a figment in the imagination of the minds of Christians. So, back then you had crowds who were looking at Jesus and saying, that's somebody special. Today you have crowds doing basically the same thing. Other crowds that have turned on Jesus and won't even give him that much. But the way that Jesus' followers, the way his disciples will answer this question is going to be different. 
So now Jesus addresses the question to his disciples, to his followers. But who do you say that I am? But you. See, your answer is going to be different. The crowds look at Jesus with just the eyeballs in their head. When they do, they see someone that the prophet Isaiah said was going to be humble looking. The prophet Isaiah said there's not going to be anything attractive about his physical appearance that would draw us to him. So the best the crowds can do when they look at Jesus with just these eyes is say, he's special, he's important. But Jesus' followers, his disciples, don't just look at him with the eyes in their head. They look at him through the eyes of faith that the Holy Spirit has given them. So Jesus' follower, his disciple, St. Peter, answers the question differently. Peter looks through the eyes of faith, and it's his faith that answers the Christ of God. Now it is fascinating in Luke's gospel. Uh, when Jesus was born, so this is Luke chapter 9, right? When Jesus was born on Christmas night, that's way back in Luke chapter 2, the angels called him the Christ. Two chapters later in Luke 4, demons call Jesus the Christ. It takes all the way till now all the way till Luke chapter 9 for a human being to get on the record calling Jesus the Christ of God. Five chapters later than the demons. The demons are ahead of the curve on the human beings. But finally, Peter is the first human that we know of who calls Jesus the Christ, who sees it correctly through the eyes of faith. Now the Christ, the way Peter identifies Jesus, the Christ is the Messiah. You call Jesus the Christ, you're saying a lot about who he is. The Messiah is the one that the Lord promised throughout the centuries of the Old Testament, the one who was going to come and save the people. And Peter calls him the Christ of God. He recognizes that Jesus is more than something special, more than somebody who is important. This is God himself in the flesh who has come to save his people. You and I... We look at Jesus with the same faith that St. Peter did. We look at Jesus, we certainly don't see a madman or a divisive person. We don't see somebody imaginary, a figment of our imagination. And we don't even stop at saying Jesus is special, he's important, he's a great teacher. We look at Jesus through the eyes of faith. And we answer in harmony, in unison with St. Peter, Jesus is the Christ of God. He is God in the flesh who comes to save. Now comes a, a turn in the story that at first seems a little strange and maybe a little bit harsh. Uh, you might expect Jesus to give Peter a pat on the back, give him a little trophy. Congratulations, Peter, on being the first human being to identify me for who I am. But instead of doing that, Jesus, Luke says, issues a strict command not to tell this to anyone. Why? Why would Jesus give that command? Not only are there a lot of wrong ideas floating around out there about who Jesus is, there are also a lot of wrong ideas about what kind of saving the Christ is coming to do for the people. See, it's not enough for a person just to know who Jesus is. Remember, even the demons know who Jesus is. You wouldn't call demons Christians. It's not enough to know who he is. You also have to understand 
what kind of salvation he is coming to bring you. It's not enough just to understand his identity. You also have to understand his mission. You see, back then, a lot of people who were looking for this Christ to come, they were looking for the Christ to save them from their worldly problems and give them worldly glory. Many people in Israel thought that this Messiah was coming to restore the glory days of King David, to make Israel a powerful political entity once again, and to throw off the, the shackles of the Roman Empire, their occupation and their oppression. In short, they wanted this Christ to come and save them from their earthly problems and bring them earthly glory. And it's interesting, you can see this attitude lingering even in the minds of Jesus' own followers, these disciples. And if you fast forward to the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus has risen from the dead. He is standing on the mountaintop preparing to ascend back into heaven. And at that moment, Jesus' disciples ask him, Lord, is this the time when you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, these are Jesus' disciples. They've seen him live the holy life, die on the cross, rise from the dead, and they still have this idea in their minds that Jesus is coming to bring back an earthly, glorious kingdom. And that is why, at this moment, Jesus tells his disciples not to tell anyone that he is the Christ, because even if people know his identity, even if they know who the Christ is, they don't get his mission. They don't understand what kind of salvation he is coming to bring the people. If they think... He's coming to bring them this worldly glory while they may try to crown him as the king of Israel. You know what? That's exactly what they did. In the Gospel of John, it tells us after Jesus fed the 5,000, they tried to take him by force and crown him as the next earthly king of Israel. Jesus had to run away. He had to escape from the crowd so that they would not be able to do that. Jesus is the Christ of God. He is the one who has promised to bring salvation for his people, but he is not coming to bring them salvation from all of their earthly problems and all of their earthly troubles. Instead, Jesus' saving mission is to suffer and die. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law. He must be killed and be raised on the third day, must suffer many things, must be killed and be raised on the third day. This is the salvation that the Christ of God comes to bring. He comes to save souls from their sins by suffering and dying and washing those sins away on the cross. He comes to save people from eternal death by rising from the grave on Easter. This is his saving mission, and in order to do it, Jesus embraces his cross of suffering and death. Jesus is the Christ of God who comes to save, comes to save souls from spiritual disaster with his cross. So back then, and still today, there are crowds who look at Jesus and they get his identity wrong. They don't understand who he is. Back then and today, Jesus has his disciples his followers, who look at him with more than just the rods and retinas in their eyeballs, they look at him through the eyes of faith, and they see this is the Christ of God who comes to save me. But what kind of salvation do we want Jesus to bring us? 
How do we understand his saving mission? See, I want, I want Jesus to save me from my health problems, right? And I want Jesus to save me from my financial worries. And I want Jesus to save me from stressed and fractured relationships with friends and family members. I want him to save me from my troubles at work and give me prosperity in my job. See, I want Jesus to give me glory, right? In this world, I want it in my body. I want it in my mind. I want it in my career. I want it in my relationships, but right there already. I may know who Jesus is, that he comes to save me, but I'm misunderstanding the saving mission. I want Jesus to bring me glory and an easy life here and now. But his mission is to embrace his cross, to suffer, to save my soul for eternity. And now this same Jesus, this Christ, who comes to save my soul, he tells me to embrace these sufferings in my own life to pick them up on my own back and follow behind him. Jesus said to them all, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, what is this self? The self that Jesus tells us to deny, literally to turn it away empty-handed. The self is the part of me that wants my easiest my best life now. The self is the part of me that wants Jesus to save me from all of my hardships and difficulties in this world and give me glory here and now. And it's that self, Jesus says, that you have to deny that desire. You have to turn it away, understanding the mission of my Savior Jesus. Denying himself is the essence of what Jesus did on that saving mission. He refused his earthly comfort. He refused to save his own life. And instead, he embraced the way of suffering and death. That is the essence of what Jesus was doing when he knelt in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed, not my will, but yours be done. That is the denial of self and embracing the cross, understanding my Savior's mission of embracing that cross and saving me from my sin. When these problems do come into my life, I will embrace them and walk behind my Savior. Because what's going to happen to me if I do misunderstand the kind of salvation that Jesus comes to bring me? What's going to happen to me when the illness or the financial struggles come into my life? Am I not going to start doubting myself, my own faith? What's wrong with me? Right? There must be something wrong with my relationship in Jesus. My, my faith must not be right because he's my savior from my problems, so why are all these problems in my life? Or even worse, I may start to doubt Jesus himself. Jesus, if you're the Christ of God who saves me, where are you? Why are you letting these things happen to me? See, and then my faith is going to get frazzled and frayed. On the other hand, if I understand Jesus' mission to embrace his own suffering and his invitation for his followers to do the same and walk behind him, then... When those sufferings come into my life, I'm not going to despair. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to cry out in panic. Instead, I'm going to remember the cross of my Savior Jesus, his mission to save my soul. And I will walk behind him with the crosses of my own. But 
You might now ask the question, and it's a logical question, why not just save us from everything, right? It's a logical question. Jesus is the Christ of God. He loves us. He can do anything. Why doesn't he just save us from those eternal spiritual troubles and save us from all of our troubles here in this world, right? Jesus, how about you do it all, right? Why don't you save me from hell and give me a lot of money? Uh, why don't you take away my sins and take away the aches and pains in my joints? How about you give me heaven and every promotion that I'm in line for at work? Why not just do it all for us, Jesus? You're the Christ of God who saves. The answer is in one little word that Jesus speaks here. See, every time I have to pick up a cross and follow Jesus, it's reminding me of his cross and turning me back toward what he did for me. The little word Jesus speaks. You know, why else would he tell his followers to take up our crosses daily and follow him? We are following the Christ who bled and died on his cross to save us from our sins. Every time I suffer, I turn back and see Jesus' cross again. And my faith in him grows stronger and stronger until I follow him all the way to the heavenly kingdom that he won for me. And that leads us to the most beautiful part of this whole thing. There is going to come a day when we're not going to suffer anymore. All of the crosses that we have to carry behind Jesus in this world are going to be gone, and they are going to be gone for good. There will come a day when you will never have to think about money again. Never have to hear another one of those inflation reports because all the wealth in the universe is going to belong to you. There will come a day when you're not going to have to worry about those achy joints or ever think about death again because you're going to be living in a glorified body. Death will never even be a thought. We won't be able to shed another tear again. See, because Jesus embraced that mission of his cross, we carry ours for a little while, remembering his cross. But the day comes when all of our crosses disappear and they are gone for good. Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. There is more than what we see here and now. There is another life after this one. And anyone who wants to have their easy life, their best life now, their glory, no sufferings, will lose sight of Jesus' cross and lose the life to come. Those who take their own crosses on their back, focus on Jesus' cross, will follow him to the life, the perfect life that never ends. So you understand what a practical difference this makes in the everyday life of a Christian. Let's say, for example, I am a Christian who is suffering ill health. Am I going to ask Jesus to save me from that sickness? Am I going to pray, Jesus Christ of God, save me. Give me physical health. Of course, nobody wants to be sick. What a kind of stupid question is that? Of course I'm going to pray for Jesus to save me from my physical problems. Or if I'm broke, am I going to pray to Jesus, save me, send me more money, take away my financial problems? Of course, nobody wants to be broke. But if those problems linger in my life, if they grow into crosses, I will not complain, I will not despair. I will remember the cross of my Savior, focus on him, and follow him to the glory that he came to win for me. Because that mission that Jesus came on, it was a success. 
He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and experts in the law. He must be killed and on the third day raised to life. We know Jesus succeeded in that mission because of the very last thing he said there. On the third day he was raised to life. His heavenly Father's stamp of approval on Jesus' saving mission of our souls. Remembering that mission of Christ, the success with which he carried it out, we carry our own crosses until we reach the place where he never suffers another cross, and neither will we. Amen.